you doing, Linda? Nice to see you. Oh, thanks. Oh, I'm a drawing card now. Now the pressure's on. So uh, here we are. I came out from New York, pretty much bottomed out. I had friends that were in AA, and um, I went to some meetings with them just to see what it was like. And sure enough, um, somebody there there I knew from O that was in OA also uh, 12-step me and. Uh, that's how I got into the program. Now, um, can I move this? Do you mind? Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I got in and, uh, you know, weight was never a big issue with me, although I had fluctuated 10, 20, 30 to 40 pounds at times. Uh, I don't think weight's the issue at all, really. First of all, I don't think there is such a thing as weight. Um, it's toxicity. Uh, I have a lot of, I have a belief system about it. I don't weigh myself. I started succeeding in program when I stopped weighing myself. And, uh, I would weigh myself the first of every month, providing I was home. If I was home on the second, I weighed whatever. As soon as I get home, I weighed myself. And, uh, I had this expectation in my head, and if I didn't achieve it, it you know, I would obsess about it. Maybe I would uh, lose my abstinence over it, and uh, it's something that uh, I just stopped doing. And when I stopped weighing myself, a lot of great things started happening for me. I started succeeding. Um, now, you're talking to somebody, um, you know, I, I'm a comedian. I've worked on a bunch of cruise ships talking about eating, you know. <laughs> you know, I... Um, it's a joke I'm going to do tonight, but I mean, the first time I was on a cruise ship, by the end of the first week, I couldn't fit into my socks. <laughs> so, simply, uh, you know, I, I, I did some damage at the buffets, put it that way. Uh, another joke uh, was the, uh, I was on a ship in Alaska, the midnight buffet lasted three months. <laughs> so, uh, the point is, I really, uh, I, uh, Live to eat. I didn't eat to live, and that's I think that's where I really changed. I stopped weighing myself. I came up with uh, an abstinence that I could live with. You know what yodels are? You know what those are? They're cream filled, like uh, kid snacks, chocolate covered, with a you know anyway bits of backies kind of thing. Just think Twinkies with chocolate covering, okay? Basically, so my, my abstinence after obsessing and setting up some, I set myself up for failure, and I was into perfection, and then I started embracing the power of imperfection. This is what worked for me. Now, uh, my abstinence became 21 yodels. To break my abstinence, I had to eat more than 21 yodels. So... What that meant was that I raised the bar for me so high that I couldn't knock it down and I couldn't fall off the wagon. My problem with abstinence, and I don't want to be preachy or whatever, is I really feel it has to be winnable. I, I, there, was, there was no way I could succeed the way I was doing it. I was failing over and over and over again. And uh, I'll tie this into the steps, too. 
But I really worked the steps. I wrote numerous times in every paragraph in the 12 and 12. I had I'd written on everything, you know. I went to a million meetings, and um, I by no means knocked the steps. But when I made this a winnable situation and got out of perfection and started living with an attitude of gratitude and latitude, I started succeeding. That, that's the greatest thing I could share. When I stopped weighing myself, I work out all the time. I think that's a very important aspect of my program. And, uh, you know, maybe it's the ninth tool or the tenth tool, but it's a tool. Um, and I always put the same weight on the machines. I never look, uh, unless the machine doesn't allow me not to set it in a certain way, I never look at the calories that burn. I do it just to, just to know I worked out, to feel good. I started uh, making choices from a context of health and how, I'm gonna, how am I going to get healthier? How am I going to feel better? And how, how can I be loving and nurturing to myself? And that ties into the attitude of latitude, you know. The thing that I tie into um, abstinence is uh, we're, we're wagon crazy in society. We jump on a wagon and we fall off the wagon, and we jump on again. And between falling off the wagon, we go to a place called Binge Town. So we feel like bottoming out again and going back on another wagon. And uh, I was wagon crazy. So what I did is I, uh, I made the wagon 21 yodels. I made it something I'm not going to fall off of. I made it livable and doable. And uh, it was a loving approach to myself, you know. Now, uh, I just wrote a book about all this, and um, it's called Laugh It Off. It's in my computer, but it ties in comedy and making hopefully salient points about what's worked for me, because I think it's a real passion of mine. And my career has changed. I still do stand-up, but I want to be a weight loss counselor. I'm starting school. After 20, about 25 years, I'm finishing my degree, and uh, it's like one step at a time. Maybe I'll go on and get a master's after that and a doctorate. I'll see. But uh, it's something I want to do forever. Now, um, just simply getting back to the 12 steps, uh, I worked them. I'm very grateful for every day that I worked the 12 steps, very grateful for every sponsor I've had in program. And uh, everything added up. You know, there's that classic line about working the steps and going to meetings and sponsoring and having a sponsor. You know, if, you know, if maybe you maintained a higher weight, I hate to even use the word weight, but maybe you maintained a higher weight, but without doing those things, working the steps, bless you, and, and so on and so forth, maybe you would have gained 40 pounds. You know, I mean, uh, the steps are amazing. I still get on my knees every day in the morning. I work one, two, three, and seven, and add a little of my own spin on on that. And I started meditating recently. It's been always been a challenge of mine to to meditate and get to do that. But uh, I still try to incorporate the steps. I think I have a lot to share. I think the reason I wrote the book—it's a passion of mine. I love doing it, but. 
I have, you know, things I want to share. I really do have things I want to share from my heart. And um, I've, since I stopped weighing myself uh, and have a 21-year-old abstinence, I've had five years of recovery, or four years of recovery, excuse me. And, uh, well, about four and a half now. So, um, you know, what I do a lot is I read a lot. I read a remarkable amount. I read a book all the time, or I reread books and about nutrition, you know, about just anything health-related, exercise-related. I think those are the pieces of the puzzle that I didn't do for a long time in program that I needed to add for my own grounding as to making choices. You know, like I said, I try to make... Most of the time, my choices from a context of health, and most of the time have a perspective of coming from a loving place and building on success. Before I was building on failure, I was falling off the wagon slash losing my abstinence all the time, and uh, it wasn't working for me like that. So um, I'm trying to stay on focusing on the solution and telling you, well, these are the solutions that really work for me after years of of falling off the wagon and working the program what I thought was pretty hard and still falling off the wagon. And uh, one thing I have to say is the, uh, the thousand pounds between my ears is basically gone. The weight between my ears, the obsession is great, greatly lifted and uh, a great deal of it is uh, based on building on success. Even if it was, even if I binge at the chocolate buffet, the midnight chocolate buffet on, you know, Norwegian cruise lines, that was still success for me. Okay, and building on success made the biggest difference in my in my life. You know, um, other aspects of the solution was. Uh, Simply knowing, you know, where are my slippery spots, where, where, what are my triggers, where am I setting myself up, where am I kidding myself. You know, if I have now have a, I'm separated for about a year right now, and if I have a meal with my wife, chances are I'm going to overeat. You know, that's going to be a trigger for me. You know, duh. You know, I mean, so, you know, well, why should I be shocked? If I'm going to overeat when I'm next to my, you know, future ex-wife, uh, it's a tough thing. So um, I, I, I have another uh, couple. Uh, great. Five more to go. Thank you. Now, uh, process of the steps. Uh, I shared what's worked for me, and I, I just want to reiterate and not lose sight that I think the steps are amazing. I love doing the writing turned over four inventories at least, extensive ones. I think emotionally having turned over the inventories and made the amends uh, were amazing things in my life and gifts of the 12 steps that, uh, you know, a lot of people out there in the world don't get to have. They don't, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that, you know. It's an ongoing journey. It's uh, There's no end to it, and that's what I realize also. You know, there's no end to working the steps. 
it's, um, you know, read, get new insights, hopefully apply them. And, you know, it's like what I was saying about getting knowledge regarding, you know, diet and exercise. I read, hopefully it sinks in, hopefully I apply things. And, um, you know, simply uh, there's, there's no substitute for working the program, and there's no way around it. I mean, uh, like I said before, if I didn't do the things I did, even though I was slipping and sliding as far as my abstinence goes, I think it would have been a lot worse. You know, it just would have been a lot worse. Uh, glad for the grounding that I had for the 12 steps and still have, I, I gather, I hope. <laughs> and um, grateful for the opportunity to share this. I don't go to a lot of meetings. I go to a couple of meetings a year now. Um, and I, I should be sharing more or just, you know, sponsoring more. I mean, I do keep in touch with program friends and talk program with people, and that's great. And I have um, I have friends, uh, you know, from almost day one in program that I still connect with, that are, I'm still close with, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and, and, you know, it's having walked this path together, I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, how, how, do, you, uh, how do you express this language to people that have not done this before? You know, so having that bond has been amazing for me. I'm very grateful for that. Um, as far as working the steps, uh, I hope everybody here has a sponsor, or almost everybody here has a sponsor and uh, has some guidance or, or is a sponsor themselves and, you know, get it, give it away. That's what I was just talking about a moment ago. I need to start giving it away more, and I need to start, you know, getting it more. I just... Bought a new 12 and 12 recently, so uh, my other one was in storage, so I went and got a new 12 and 12, and uh, I'm glad I did that. Um, I'm in other 12-step programs, and I'm grateful for that support, too. So my focus has changed. I think having the recovery in this area, a one day at a time, uh, I feel like... Uh, you know, it was time to focus on other things, too. So, you know, my meeting time uh, has gone to, you know, focus on other 12-step programs. Um, I, I think that's about about it. And uh, I thank you very much for letting me share, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Speaker uh, is speaking. We'll speak for 20 minutes. Thank you. Hi, my name is Vicki, and I am a compulsive overeater. And it's so nice to know that I know that. You know, because for so long it was like, well, I don't really want to be that. What am I? But I know today that I am a compulsive overeater, and it just really takes a lot of that energy out of it. You know, I can just be. And I, I uh, when Ida asked me to share, I was at the Joe, a Joe and Charlie workshop 
and that's a workshop on the 12 steps through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I saw Ida, and she asked me if I was coming, and I said yes, and she said, would you speak? And I said yes, and so then the next day she gave me this topic. And um, I really like it because I really believe that the answers are not in just going to meetings, and they are not in just working the steps. I believe it's a big package deal, and the more I can see it as a package deal, it works for me. But the paragraph that was written, I mean, that was uh, shared, I really like that. But above that, it says, in learning to practice these steps in my daily living, I began to acquire faith and a philosophy to live by. Whole new vistas were opened up for me, new avenues of experiences to explore, and life began to take on color and interest. In time, I found myself looking forward to each new day with pleasurable anticipation. That is where I am today. When I got to um, Overeaters Anonymous, I was not there. I was suicidal. At nine years old, I was writing suicide notes, so I didn't come from a place of being real happy. When I got to, when I started looking at the second step and it says being restored to sanity, I didn't have a clue what that meant because I had never felt I had been insane to be restored to. So it was a real adventure because what was I going to, I didn't know what it was going to be like because I had never been there. So that was a real, um, real fun thing for me to start looking at these steps and to realize that maybe there was a way that my life could get better, that maybe there was a way that things wouldn't have to be so dark all the time. Um, at the age of three, I was a compulsive overeater from the very beginning. Back in the days, uh, my day, when uh, doctors used to come out to your house. And uh, we lived in a small town, and the doctor would come out. And my parents were real concerned because I, was, I got really sick. And so the, doctors, the doctor came out, and uh, um, he put a, one of those little tongue things down my throat, and I threw up, and I was fine. Uh, so at three years old, I was compulsively eating. My mom had made tacos, and um, <laughs> and it started me on a journey of compulsive eating, which got me to where I am today, and I'm extremely grateful for that. So I've done a lot of compulsively, compulsive eating. My top weight was 200 pounds, and um, so, you know, we all know what that's like. But one of the things that I'd like to share is what this program has done for me. And, you know, I couldn't, I, when I first got here, I couldn't get this thing called abstinence. I just didn't. I, I tried really hard, and I did do pretty well. My first abstinence was primarily just not eating sugar. But that gives you a lot of other food to eat. You know, so, but I focused in on that, and that was probably primarily it for about the first six years. And then um, I, I got this sponsor, and... I was told things like, because I used to think, well, until I got my food perfect, I couldn't get past step one. And what I was told is work the rest of the steps and the food will get better. And I want to say that. Work the rest of the steps and the food gets better. I really believe that today. And so I, I, that's what I started to do. And um, so I started looking at those first three steps. And that third step for me was a real decision about turning my will and my life over to the care of God. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what God was. I had a God of my, under, my childhood, but I didn't really know for sure what that was because it was more about what I was going to eat when I got home from church than what was going on during church. So, but I, I was at a meeting, and back in those days, we'd have AA speakers come in because we didn't have enough of our own. And so there was a man that came in from AA, and he shared, and I was at that point of not knowing what that God was, 
And he said, he shared, God, reveal yourself to me as you really are. So probably for the next two years, that was my my prayer. Because I didn't know what God was, and I really didn't want your God, but it was, I didn't know. So I just prayed that prayer. And uh, God started revealing things to me in a very loving way, through books, through people, and I believe also through my sponsor. I uh, met him at an OA meeting. He was an Al-Anon sponsor. Uh, he was an Al-Anon man, and he... He was also coming because we didn't have enough of our own speakers at the time. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 1975. I I don't really know for sure what the date was. It was not the highlight of my life at that time, so I didn't mark it down on the calendar saying this is going to change my life. But it certainly has. So I I came in around 1975, and I've never left. And for that, I'm really grateful. And so I, I really started looking at that third step and just praying. And, uh, and so things started to, to change in my life. And then I was told that if I really believed that third step, then the action I needed to take was the fourth through the ninth step. And that's that house cleaning. That's about looking at those secrets that are going on, looking at those resentments, sharing about my fears, tremendous fears in my life, and looking at those things and asking God to help me with those things. And I remember the first time I I gave away my fourth step, and uh, it was to an Episcopal priest. And it was just such a like, oh, my gosh, this human being sat and listened to me. That was totally amazing for me, that somebody would care enough about me to sit and listen. And, you know, so it wasn't a very good fourth step, and I didn't look at my part in it, but it started me on a journey of writing. And slowly I was able to start looking at my part in things. And then, you know, I, I really I believe so strongly in the sixth and seventh step about looking at our character defects. Because if I'm not looking at my character defects, and I believe today that when something is irritating, when you irritate me, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about what's going on within me. So if I get angry, it's not, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at myself. And so when I get to look at that today, I, I, it, things turn much quicker for me. I don't have to go through as much processing of things today as I used to. Because before it would be like, oh, my feelings would be hurt, and I'd have to talk about it, and, you know, and, and today I realize it's not about you, it's about me. And I believe very strongly in those six and seven steps and, and the amend steps. I want to share one amends that I made that I'm extremely grateful for. It was the most powerful one that I made. My mother, uh, when I, I was, came to Overeaters Anonymous in, in Arizona, and came back to California. I was born and raised in California. I went through a nervous breakdown in Arizona and came back to California and moved in with my parents again. And my mom was the one that would get the good and bad of me because I knew she loved me unconditionally. I would never treat my father like that because you know, he scared me. <laughs> but my mother, I just knew. And so I, uh, at first I couldn't work, and then I finally got a part-time job, and it was just so overwhelming. And I'd come home for that job, and I, my mom would be doing something, and I'd just take it out on her, and I'd yell at her. And and, and then I'd go, oh, the program says I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. It's like, oh, Mom, I'm really sorry. Well, you know, that went on. And one day she looked at me, and I came home, and I was yelling, and, and she just looked at me like, don't say you're sorry. Something happened within me at that moment. 
something that I had no power over, and I knew at that moment the true meaning of the amends step. And that was, you don't say you're sorry. It's about an attitude and an action change. And from that moment on, I never yelled at my mom again. The good news about that was my mom died of Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is one of those diseases that the whole family's in denial for a really long time until it's too late. And then you get it in this right rude, rude awakening. But my mom lived probably, I don't know, probably 20 years after the point of uh, my making my amends to her. So we had a wonderful relationship. And I was able to be there for her when, um, when she died. I was able to be there and not have any guilt. And that's a blessing, a true blessing, because she knew I loved her. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for that. Because, you know, it's not just about not eating. And I'm not saying that's not important. But it's, there's so much more in, to this program than not, that, that builds on that. You know, when I was first, uh, when I was new in the program, I was, in my mind, I was retarded. I was the dumb kid in the class. I was fat, dumb, and stupid, you know. And, um, and so I barely passed high school. And I only did that because Scott intervened and helped me out on that one. But I, I, so I, you know, I had no, I didn't know how to read. And so it was really through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous that I learned to read. And I, I'm more of an auditory learner, so I would learn, I'd listen to the traditions because that was the shortest reading. And so when anybody asked me to read, I'd make sure I got the traditions because I kind of had memorized them. And so that's how I kind of learned in this program. And one day I was driving with my sponsor and I knew I was going to go back to school. Now that was not part of my plan. That was not something I would have ever done. And, um, and I, so I knew I was going to go back to school. And so I had been at a job for uh, a while and um, they said to me, oh, no, you need to wait another semester so you get this benefit. And I knew within myself that I needed to just stop working and move on at that point. And so I was able to, to do that. And I wasn't married at the time. I'd been divorced, and I didn't know how I was going to survive. And um, things, you know, God just worked in mysterious ways. I don't know if they're so mysterious now, but, you know, I, don't, I, I just see it as such a blessing. Uh, and so God... I, I wanted to always work at Costco. Back then, it was Price Club. And, um, and I don't even know why I wanted to work there, but I knew that was where I was supposed to work. And so um, I had gone to a retirement dinner, and I sat next to this lady, and the program had told me about sticking your hand out and saying hello, which I didn't like to do. And I stuck my hand out, and I started talking to this woman, and she happened to be the personnel director of Costco or Price Club. And so I, she, and I, so I told her the story, and she said, well, make sure you put on the application, you put my name. And so I got, a, I got hired on there, and it, I was hired on for Christmas seasonal stuff. And uh, there were about 50 of us that were hired. And uh, the holidays were over, and I was going to school, and um, they were only going to keep seven of us. And so I, you know, I mean, it was like I didn't know what was going to happen, and um, I was one of the seven that was kept on. So I was able to go to school. I was able to work. They worked around my school schedule, and I made as much money working part-time as I had been working full-time. And that was about me. And it wasn't about... 
me saying to God, God, I want to go back to school. This was God saying, you are going back to school. You know, I've never had such an absolute in my life. I would love it to, you know, because it just knew. And for the whole time I was back in school, I fought it. I called my father, I can't do this, I can't do this. And he said, can you read one page at a time? I go, okay. <laughs> and then every semester, every quarter, I said, I can't do this. And one semester of this, I was in this English class, and this, this English teacher, she was like, avid reader, and she gave us like 10 books to read, you know, and I'm, I called my sponsor, I said, oh, I can't do that, I can't read one book. He said, it will work out, just don't quit. And four of the books never came in. Thank you, God. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I got through school. I got through school by showing up and doing the best I could do, and I ended up going to USC to get a master's degree. And, you know, the gratitude that I feel for that is real overwhelming. And I'd love to say I was like valedictorian and got straight A's. No, I got through. (laughs) And I'm really, really grateful for that. And it's taken me on a journey that is unbelievable. And, you know, I would love to say that I've done my food right from the very beginning, and I haven't. But you know what? I just keep working those steps. I keep doing the best I can do, and it just keeps working out. You know, I've gone through divorces in this program. I've gone through, well, I went through a divorce. I went through a marriage. I went through a divorce. I've gone through a mom's death. And I've gone through some things that, that haven't been easy, but it's, I've never found it necessary to go back to compulsively overeating, you know, and for that I'm really grateful. I got married twice in this program. No, just once. But I didn't even eat my wedding cake. You know, and it wasn't even like, oh, my gosh, I can't even eat my wedding cake. It was like I didn't even want to eat it. It was just, it's, you know, God has removed certain foods from me that I'm just so blessed. Uh, I also believe in health, and I, and I pray for discipline because I think discipline is a very powerful thing, and I pray to eat healthy. And, uh, you know, I don't see a whole lot of redeeming value in sugar. So God said, you know, that was probably one of those things that was going to go first. And so um, that was one of the blessings that, that I have been given is that I, um, uh, I don't eat sugar. And, you know, that's a lot of gratitude for that. Um, But I get to look at those steps. And, you know, I I love the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it talks about Bill Wilson. He had been hospitalized several times because of his alcoholism. He He knew the answer. Bill Wilson knew the answer. He had self-knowledge. He was given that knowledge by Dr. Soapworth, that if he put any amount of alcohol into his system, he would go back to compulsive drinking. Bill Wilson knew that. It was not enough to keep him sober. It was only through the experience, I believe, that he had with Ebby, which Ebby brought to him about the spiritual principles that when Bill Wilson laid in that hospital room for the fourth time and the very last, and he cried out to a God of his own understanding, God help me, that he got clean clean and sober. So I don't think it's just about self-knowledge and about if I just get the food right, I'm going to be okay. It's about emotions, it's about spiritual, and it's about the physical. And, um, you know, so I get to look at my emotions today. I get to be in touch with that kind of stuff. And I don't really want to be. But I believe that the power of the sixth and seventh step helps me with my emotions. I do not believe I have the ability to not be angry. 
I do not believe that on my own, but I believe if I work that sixth and seventh step, that gives me the power. Those steps give me the power. God gives me the power not to be angry today. Because I tried. I tried to be a nice person. I tried not to compulsively overeat. I tried not to want to commit suicide. I didn't know how to do those things. But I got a God of my very own, and those things changed in my life. Um, and for that, I'm extremely grateful. I believe that the 11th step is very, also very powerful. The 10th step, you know, we get to do those things on a daily basis. We get to do self-examination. We get to look at ourselves on a daily basis so that, that all that stuff doesn't keep piling up. And, you know, and I believe the 11th step is a very powerful, and if you read it, read it in the 12 and 12 of Alcoholics Anonymous or in the book of, or in the book of, the big book, Bill Wilson does not talk about this is what you have to do. He says explore. He says, I don't know. You know, explore. And that is so much freedom because everything that I ever got involved with was says these are the things you had to do. And Bill Wilson says no that the answers are within. And I believe that today for me, that the answers are within. And my job is to get quiet and to listen. And, you know, I used to, I, I still have the same sponsor, but when I was early in the program, my sponsor would say to me, how's your prayer and meditation? What does that have to do with anything? Let me tell you my problem. And I so I finally, after hearing that a lot, I learned that maybe prayer and meditation was pretty important. And so I got to know that, that um, just to sit quietly, and it doesn't mean I have this little voice is going to stop chattering, but eventually it does because it gets kind of bored, I think. And then the answers start coming from within. And every time I answer that way, every time I listen to those answers that come from within, those are the things that are right. But if I listen to those voices that are coming from my head and i got to do it right now, that's usually my will. It's always my will. But if it just happens naturally, then they know it's God's will. Um, The 12th step about service, about having had that spiritual awakening. Uh, Bill Wilson had the spiritual experience. I had the spiritual awakening, the educational variety that says in the book that we can all have. We can all come to the place that Bill Wilson came to. Some of us, it's just a little bit slower. And that's been my my story. It's been the educational variety. And I'm grateful for that because I think that's what's kept me coming back. Had I just been hit over the head and never wanted to compulsively overeat again, I don't think I would have come back. But, you know, I know that I'm a compulsive overeater. Bottom line, I know that today. And I'm very, very grateful for that. I get to do service today. Um, I find it's important for me to go to meetings. I, I go to a lot of meetings, mainly because I like you guys and I get a lot out of it. And I get to do service there. And I don't, but I don't believe meetings will keep us clean and sober or clean and abstinent. I believe meetings help. It keeps reminding us. It gives us an opportunity to do service. But I believe we also have to be working those 12 steps. And that is a powerful combination beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you. Does somebody have the um, the box with the questions in it? Thank you. Thank you, Steve and Vicky. 
We will now have questions from the Ask It basket. If anybody uh, thinks of a question they want to still ask, you can come get it. Do you ever feel that you have no more amends to make when you're doing your inventory? that by 
looking at this program or looking at the steps was I learned he made me a very independent person. You know, I don't go to people for money today. You know, and I have a friend that her mother's been bailing her out for 40 years because she can never get it. And, you know, I don't have I, – so, so I can see today the gifts that my father has given me, and I could share those gifts. And, you know, when I got out of what he did wrong and started looking at what he did right and looking at him as a child of God, that's when the healing started. I have not worked all of the steps, and I need to get a sponsor. What kind of an OA meeting should I go to, and are there meetings that focus on the steps? Uh, well, big time. There's step study meetings. And uh, when, when you hear go to enough meetings, you hear people share a lot of how much recovery they have. You, you see their personalities, maybe see somebody you might click with, and feel comfortable in sharing and having that kind of relationship with. And um, recovery attracts recovery. And uh, that's how it's done. Go to any meetings. Go to meetings. Find winners or whoever you perceive as a winner, you know, whoever you connect with. What do you do on a daily basis to keep emotionally fit? What I do on a daily basis, I, I believe very strongly in prayer and meditation. So on a daily basis, I take time out for that because I believe that's where my emotional um, stability comes from. And one of the things that I've, I really try to do is, um, is get in touch more with what's going on within my body as opposed to what's going on out there. And I do that by just sitting sometimes I mean I can just do it by consciously being aware of my breathing and that is a real powerful um, I believe a real powerful exercise as far as getting in touch with what's going on within and it calms me down um, I also believe that I don't want to make an amends today um, so I really kind of watch what I have to say but part of my the thing that I had to do was I was not the one that would yell and scream and shout. I was the one that just stuffed everything. And so I went through a 10-year marriage of just stuffing everything. So he thought everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, one day, I couldn't stuff it anymore, and all of it had to come out. Well, this poor guy, he didn't, you know, was like, he didn't have a clue what was going on. And, you know, so what I had to learn was I had to learn to speak up, to speak my truth. Today I can speak my truth, so now I have a choice. I can keep my mouth shut or I can speak up. And that has been a gift for me. How about staying emotionally fit? Well, a couple of things. One, I've uh, learned to a decent degree, a better and better degree that I'm perilous over others. And not to make something, someone, some institution into a higher power. So if I have some balance and look at it, uh, look at things a bit more globally, uh, I feel more grounded. How often do you work the steps with a sponsor? 
Well, I formally worked the steps with a sponsor, and now I live the steps. I think the steps have become me, and it has become my way of life. Not that I don't necessarily work them in the form, formal order that I did when I first started, because I do believe that they're written for a reason. You know, I believe that first three, the first step, first three steps have is about getting in touch with admitting that I can't do it. So then we have those whole house cleaning steps and then the, the daily steps. But I believe today, I, I believe whatever I'm going through, there, the answer is spiritual, and it's not about what's really going on. It's about how I react to it that becomes important. And so I don't. I don't really do those steps formally like that anymore, except that I shouldn't say that because I just, I've done some recent fourth step work. But, you know, any time that I believe we share what's going on within us is a fifth step. So, you know, and it's, it's about taking some of that power out of the steps. How do the steps keep us lovingly detached from our loved one's problems? Well, this kind of ties into what I was saying before about being powerless over others. And uh, if you work on your own steps, you don't have to worry about somebody else's path. And you can detach a bit better than... Uh, getting emotionally, I don't know, entangled. And, uh, you know, you're on your own track. You're on your own path of recovery. Everybody's got their own. And uh, I've had to go through a real surrender by being powerless over uh, a significant other in my life and uh, many others. So uh, that's it. That's the question. How do the steps keep us lovingly detached from our loved one's problems? One of the things that I ask myself is that my business or none of my business. And there's not a whole lot that's really my business, you know. Um, and I believe that when I get into it's my business about somebody else's life, it's my ego. You know, I know best. And I've learned through sponsors, I've learned through the working with other people that it's not about me telling you how to do or what to do or, um, well, I had an experience where this girl called and she was dating, she was new in the program. She was like just a couple months old and this man that had been around for 15 years started helping her with the steps and then they started having sex and, you know, and I got a little mad. And I just didn't feel that was, you know, because then she got real hurt. And so then I told her, you know, I gave her my opinion, and I told her she shouldn't, she, you know, he had no right to do that and that kind of stuff. Well, then it backfired on me because then they really started having a relationship. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh. See, and I learned. I learned from that. Just stay out of things. I can share my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I can do. And the, one of the things that I realized lately is that, I don't want as much drama in my life. And the more I can stay out of other people's stuff, I don't have as much drama. Where, who are the sponsors? 
guys want to identify yourself? Are you guys sponsors? You know, one of the things, yeah, you know, my belief is Bill Wilson didn't have a sponsor. I mean, he had Abby. So, but, you know, it wasn't like he said, well, I can't choose Abby because don't get into this whole thing of I have to be perfect before I can sponsor. You know, when I first got in the program, somebody that had one day was much more appealing to me than somebody who had five years. I didn't understand that. I, you know, so be open. Let, and one of the things that I had to learn is I let God put the people in my life that are supposed to be there. All I have to do is say yes. You know, and whoever calls, calls, and that's who I'm supposed to be working with. So I got out of what I know what's right for me. I just got God in the picture of that, and I just let God. And, you know, sometimes I don't know things. I can't, I don't have experience, strength, and hope on certain things. And I can say that today. But I believe that we, we don't have to wait till we're perfect to sponsor. Well, uh I don't know if he wrote it or not, but is a quote attributed to Woody Allen or Woody A? <laughs> no, he's not. he's not a program. But it's uh, something like 85% of life is just showing up. And uh, if you show up, you're going to find a sponsor. You know, just show up. Keep going to meetings. It'll just happen. And do it imperfectly. If you have to find the wrong sponsor, find the wrong sponsor, and then still realize it's principles over personalities. But... You know, move uh, move ahead, inch along, but show up, you know. When you feel disconnected or out of step, the dry spells, how do you reconnect with the program and or your higher power? It's um, a good question. They're all good questions. Uh how do I reconnect when I feel disconnected? When I feel disconnected, it's it's really because my wiring is off and my thinking is off and uh, very little to do with program. And uh, how I connect is, you know, having these, you know, 18-year uh, relationships with people in program and uh, getting on my knees and trying to learn how to meditate. And, and that's how I do it. That's how I at least try to do it best of my ability. The book of Alcoholics Anonymous tells us this is the book that will help us find a relationship with God. That's the primary purpose of that book. And I believe that, for me, um, working the steps, looking at those steps, looking at my character defects, is what will help me to get through those dry periods. Because I've gone through periods where it's just like, I don't understand this, I don't think there's a God. And I just kept believing. I believe that my sponsor believes. I have a tremendous belief that that person knows that these 12 steps work. And for a long time, that's I held on to that. But the more I can get into the steps and make them a part of my life as opposed to just something I work, um, the more exciting it is for me. I went through a period. I've been in the OA since 1975, so it's been a long time. And I went through a period where I didn't like you guys, and I just really didn't, but I didn't know where else to go, so I kept coming back. But And then all of a sudden something shifted within me. I started working those steps again, and all of a sudden you guys got really wise. 
and I started loving you. And I don't know how many years. That was probably 15, 20 years ago. And from that point on, I don't, I love going to meetings. I like being around you guys. Um, I know I belong. And uh, that's a gift. And, you know, I get to do other things. It's not like I just go to meetings and work. You know, I, I too, believe exercise. I One of the things that when I first got in the program, I said to God, God, I know I need to exercise. And God says, start to run. And I said, well, you know, that's a little drastic. Uh, and he said, well, just walk then. But get out and do something. And then, you know, then I was told, run for five minutes and walk for five minutes. And, you know, I got to do those kinds of things. And and I, I've been a runner pretty much the whole time. I had some back problems, so I had to stop for a while. But, you know, I, I was able to go from basically a couch potato, and I've been, I've been able to run marathons. And, you know, it was one step at a time. And the greatest gift for me with running is that I get to count my breathing so that I don't die. But part of that is is I that's meditation. I just count to four and I get to start over. It keeps me focused. And when the more focused I am on what's going on here and not getting into all this chatter, that's what that's why it worked for me. Um, I just want to share one quick story because I just believe this is really powerful. I, and I don't know for sure, 1989 or 81, I think it was 81, I ran the uh, Hawaii Marathon. And it was absolutely wonderful, wonderful experience. And I was running along, and at mile 20, the marathons are 26 miles, 385 yards. Those 385 yards are really powerful when you're at the very end. And But I was about at mile 23, and I hit the wall. And hitting the wall means you just I just couldn't go on. And I started walking, and I started to pray, and I, cause I knew I wanted to finish. You know, I wasn't into time or anything. I just wanted to finish. And some, and it was in Hawaii, and a lot of people from Japan would come over to run the marathons. And these are these cute little Japanese that weigh 80 pounds, right? You know, so I'm, I just knew they. But um, you know, so it was really intimidating. But I was walking, and this man from Japan came up beside me, and he grabbed me by the arm, and he started running with me. He did not speak English, and I did not speak Japanese. And he ran me in. We ran in together holding hands. And after we crossed that line, we hugged each other. Now, that's God. You know, start seeing God in life. Thank you, Steve and Vicki. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the OA promise, which is at the end of the uh, program. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. 